Lesson two, a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter six. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so they may get praise from people. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know they are fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you are fasting to people, but only to your father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourself in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where the thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Good evening, friends. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as your senior pastor here at City Church San Francisco. And if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift to come together and be reminded once again of the ways in which we are both all of what you call us to be and yet not yet who you call us to be. And so we invite you in this moment to speak through me so that we might be reminded of the ways that we are invited into your work within ourselves, through us, and into the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was recently having a conversation with a friend of mine, a Lutheran pastor in Chicago, and they described how after several different instances of bullying from a person in the congregation, the leadership decided to do something about it. Often, the behavior followed typical patterns of abusers. They, the, this person would say something or act in a way that was harmful, 
perhaps yelling at the youth group while they were engaged in a service project, a visitor who didn't know better about one thing or another, or even the pastor, my friend, was berated from time to time. Not long after um, an outburst, this person would inevitably apologize for their behavior. The problem, of course, was that whatever remorse they might have felt never actually seemed to stick, or at least change their behavior. Eventually, something would set them off, and another round of abuse and apologies would be in order. And now this church, these are nice church people. <laughs> Everyone tried to be patient and forgiving, but after a while, folks were on edge, and the leadership knew they had to do something about it. No one wanted to do this, but my friend knew that if this person was not confronted in a way that was guided by a restorative justice ethic, the church would get choked out. People would feel unsafe and stop coming, and perhaps even one day this person would do more than harm people with words. If no one said anything, this person would never be held accountable for their behavior, and they would continue to treat people in ways that were harmful in a never-ending cycle. So, the leadership of the church had a conversation with the bully. They said, we want you to be part of this community, but you can't come back until you agree to practice certain standards of behavior. Then they listed out what that behavior looked like and what it didn't look like. They identified a small handful of folks who agreed to support that person as they held them accountable. And the whole thing, frankly, was unpleasant, <laughs> as you can imagine. This person did not take well to the conversation and decided that they wanted to, nothing to do with it, and they walked away. And the offer remains. But it is up to that person as to whether or not they want to step up to the task of owning up to their wrongs. And not only that, but actually changing their behavior in a more permanent way. How long should we tolerate bad behavior before we stop being gracious, patient, or forgiving and start being a doormat, an enabler, or worse yet, an accomplice? Could we be a good Christian? Could being a good Christian involve not being very nice, tolerant, or friendly? In our passage for this evening, God has had enough of sincerely offered but ultimately empty apologies. God is tired of performative atonement and counterfeit repentance, has grown weary of fervent prayers that offer nothing but the idea that we get a pass on our bad behavior. Yes, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, but mama didn't raise no fool. God is not naive and can tell the difference between sincere repentance and a quick sorry, not sorry. So God offers a roadmap to reparations. Put away your ashes and sackcloth. Get off your knees and make things right. Fix yourself, help somebody, then and only then do I wanna see you come back to me and tell you how much you love me. Whew. Welcome to Ash Wednesday. I won't blame you if you feel like you've already tripped over the starting line for Lent. If so, you're not alone. Another friend and colleague of mine described herself as limping into Lent. And that's okay too, because you showed up. And showing up means you're willing to try again. And trying again is a big part of what Lent is about. As we journey with Jesus over the next 40 days, we have an opportunity to hit the reset button on our practices, perspectives, and posture toward faithful living. 
to recalibrate our sense of self and self in relation to God. God wants us to do better, not for one another, but by one another. Do you hear that? Not because that will make us more lovable or productive, but because we were made to do better by one another. Yesterday, I discussed with the personnel team the results of the very first exit interview that we've ever conducted at City Church. And in it, there were reflections that were helpful, especially as we look toward the many positions that we are hiring for. But there, was also some, there were also some helpful reflections for me. Among them was an observation that I was moving too fast. That the speed of the cultural and operational changes I was bringing to the systems of the church gave a sense that I wasn't paying attention to how that was being experienced by this person. Now, of course, this is inevitable for any season of transition in leadership change, but that doesn't mean I should dismiss the feedback. I've certainly had some missteps along the way since I've begun in this role as your senior pastor. And by and large, I don't regret most of the shifts that I've set in motion among our staff. However, what I realized in the feedback, what I like to call the thing beneath the thing, was that I didn't really appreciate how those changes might have been experienced by some folks. Now, I could attribute it to having come from a place that I built for 10 years, and so it's a different thing to step into a pre-existing culture. I could blame it on some gaps in the organizational culture here at City Church, both of which I think are valid points. But regardless, what I realized was that I had failed to carry a higher level of compassion toward those who might perceive those changes more negatively or harmful than others. It doesn't matter what I was trying to do if I wasn't paying attention to the impact on people. But regardless of what I realized, was that I had failed to do this, right? And so maybe some of you identify with some of this person's sentiments. And if so, I want you to know that I am realizing, even in this small instance, how I could do better, how I could do better by others. I've been trying, and I'll keep trying, and now I can try a little better. But this isn't about me. Trust me, it's about us. It's about how we can do better by one another, and how by doing better by one another, we are not only confronted with the ways that we aren't, but also begin to have a more honest conversation about how we could. On this day, at this service, we not only hit the reset button on our faith, but we are also reminded of the urgency of this task. In a few minutes, you'll be marked by ashes on your forehead. And these ashes are a reminder of our interconnectedness with all of creation. From dust we came, and to dust we will return. Whatever illusions we embrace about our exceptionalism in the order of creation and created life, we too will join the broader cycle in the death and resurrection of microbes, mam mammals, and all matter of kinds. Ma all ma all ma and matter of all kinds. And so let us be humbled even if we don't say it perfectly, right? For we are infinite, or we are finite. That's some kind of slip in there. Let us be humble, for we are finite. And while that might feel a little bit sad, it's also incredibly liberating. We can't do all the things, but we can do some things. And part of those some things must involve doing better by one another. And so, let Ash Wednesday be a reminder to you that we can slow down or speed up to have the hard conversations with one another, with God, maybe also with ourselves. 
to have the courage to confront the ways in which we are not living as we ought to or even want to. And then take on practices that help us do better while we still can. Let us today be reminded that while one day we will die, today, today we are alive. And so in the words of the artist, poet, and theologian Jan Richardson, let us be marked not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. For the course of Lent, I will be following the truth-telling calendar of First United Community Ministry Society in Canada, which is prompted by the call to action number 60 of the Church Partners to, to the Settlement Agreement. Now, I won't blame you if you don't know what that is. I learned about this through a Canadian and Indigenous friend of mine who is a pastor, the pastor of this church. This settlement is an agreement like not unlike um, what our friends in South Africa did, which was to recognize the truth of what had been done by churches and particularly religious schools in Canada and to reconcile the relationships within that. And so I didn't know what call to action number 60 was, and so I looked it up before, as I prepared to follow this calendar. It says, if there is to be full reconciliation for the survivors of residential schools, church groups need to not only apologize and make amends, but also ensure that the same sort of thing never happens again. And so this calendar that I'll be following will be an exercise in thinking about the ways in which I, as a Christian, and part of the body of Christ universal, have somehow participated in atrocities that should never have happened, and especially should have never happened in the name of Jesus Christ. And to learn, and to think about how I can repair my little slice of that relationship in some way. So whatever it is that you decide to invite into your life, let yourself be reminded that part of that work of Lent is to learn how to do better by one another. And so, come all of you who are limping lurching, or maybe even perhaps leaping into Lent. Come and let that smudge you bear be born with the kind of trust and hope and reminder that God has and can create whole worlds from dust, transforming lives with a smudge, rebuilding the ancient ruins of our lives so that we might become repairers of the breaches, menders of broken walls, and restorers of the streets in which we live. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you let us, invite us, call us to try again. And that you remind us that it is never too late to repair, to restore, and to begin again. And so as we enter into this time of Lent, over these 40 days, walking with your son Jesus, let us do so with an eye toward the thing that you are wanting to renew within us, the thing that you are wanting to call us toward so that we might be repaired in our relationships with you 
with God, with, with you, with ourselves, and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.